If you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation. You know, I've heard people say it's all about execution. Blackberry was executing really well. Trouble is, the world changed while they were busy executing. The most powerful catalyst for getting people into the right frame of mind to do something different and to innovate is actually the sharing of stories. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. For this episode, we'll be talking innovation and the evolution of the Common Application. Among the topics we'll discuss are how the Common App has reinvented itself for the digital age, how they prepare to handle a seasonal rush that leads to massive spikes of usage and traffic, and what's happening behind the scenes over the course of a year for a company that winds up having one big release every year. Joining us today to talk those topics and more is Jenny Ricard, the CEO of The Common Application. Jenny has been the CEO of The Common Application for the last two plus years. Her experience embodies each area of the college enrollment management process, including admissions, marketing communications, technology, and financial aid. Her extensive service within the national higher education community includes a wide range of roles with the college board, the Association of College Counselors and Independent Schools, the U.S. Department of Education, and, of course, the Common Application Board of Directors, serving as board president in 2007. Within the corporate field, Ms. Ricard was a vice president responsible for higher education product strategy at PeopleSoft. She also was a consultant for the higher education software company Datatel and started her career on Wall Street at J.P. Morgan & Company. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, David. So if you would, for our listeners out there that don't really have any high school age children or any children that recently went off to college and and haven't had uh, the experience of working with the Common App, can you talk about at at a high level overview and the mission of the Common App? Sure. Um, sort of the two two big things I would want people to know. Uh, the first is that the Common Application is a nonprofit membership organization, and we're composed of more than 800 colleges and universities from around the country and around the world. Uh, and we all share a common mission of promoting access, equity, and integrity in the college admission process. And the main way uh, that we fulfill that mission is through the Common App. Uh, itself, which is a streamlined application platform that allows applicants to enter information about themselves just once and use it to apply to multiple colleges and universities. Students can also research financial aid and scholarship opportunities and connect to college counseling resources through the platform. And last year, uh, more than one million students, one third of whom uh, will be the first in their families to go to college, use the Common App to apply to college. Wow. I love that data point. And it points back to one of the key things you started with, which is the values. How important do you find these values of accessibility, equity, and integrity being to how the Common App actually operates and is able to innovate? You know, it's really a a great question, David. And one of the things, uh, having been, I was a member of the Common App at at different institutions where I worked. uh, And then I was on the board of the Common App. And then when I arrived here just over two years ago, and met with um, every one of our team members here who work in development, who work in member services, who work uh, in product support, et cetera, regardless of their role at the organization, they are committed to that mission of access, Mm -hmm. equity, and integrity. And so when they're thinking about their roles here and what their 
what their jobs are, what the initiatives we're pursuing, they really think about that and really care and mm. really want to help help students succeed in the process. They want our member institutions to be able to serve their, their students really well. And they, they do a great service as well to the college counseling community, mm. providing free resources for them as well. So it's very much... Uh, core to everyone here and certainly to the organization. Truly a purpose-driven organization and one where values uh, seem to be just really ingrained um, and, and a great mission that we can all get behind. As you look forward, uh, the Common App has reinvented itself for the digital age. You've spent a lot of time really focusing um, on how you're more relevant to the millennials and, and how you take advantage of this digital economy. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and talk about how you see yourselves. Would you classify yourself as a digital company now? Um, would you classify yourself as a nonprofit? Like, how do you talk about it internally and, and how relevant is that to how you navigate the company? That is a great question, uh, David, because sometimes people will think nonprofit technology company, you know, is that uh, <laughs> an oxymoron, right? <laughs> exactly. But I guess how I, I would characterize us is that I, I really truly see us as a, a mission driven organization who, whose goal is to help students through the innovative use of technology um, mm -hmm. to help them pursue their dreams of higher education, regardless of their background. And we've been continually reinventing ourselves um, as technology has evolved. Mm -hmm. Not many people um, are aware that the Common App was actually started more than 40 years ago wow. uh, by a group of visionary admission deans and college counselors who had a really great idea. Mm. They saw an opportunity uh, to reduce barriers to applying to college by leveraging the latest technology of that time, mm. uh, which was the photocopier. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. since then, since that time of the photocopier, we've, we've continuously leveraged technology to evolve you know, from what was a paper and pen application to what is today a powerful online resource and an innovative application center that's used by not just those million students, but by more than 3 million people when you include prospective students who are still in the process of applying, high school counselors and teachers and advisors who all access our system and come together to help support that mission of access, equity, and integrity in the, in the process. Mm -hmm. I love the way you describe that because I think you hit on something that's so important for innovation, which is you really have your goal in mind, right? You, you describe digital as a tool, as one of the strategies to reach your mission, not the end-all be-all itself. And, and we talk a lot at Three Pillar about building for outcomes. And we, we find that way too often, companies that think of themselves as technology companies, first and foremost, actually lose sight of the mission. They lose sight of the objective, and it becomes about the technology for its own sake. Um, and, and it sounds like one of the secrets to your success has been keeping that mission at the forefront and really whether whether it's the photocopier or it is a mobile application today, doesn't really matter. These are tools to get the job done. Is that a fair conclusion? That is absolutely a fair conclusion. Technology is one of the resources, and obviously it's a very critical one uh, for us, but it is not the only way uh, mm -hmm. that we achieve our mission. Mm -hmm. Well, so that touches a little bit on on history, and, and you gave us a little bit of insight uh, from the photocopier to today. For those that don't have kids going through the application process, and I, I actually have a senior in high school right now, so I, I know this in and out. I'm reminded of how painful it was as a kid to, to navigate <laughs> this stage in life, right? It's like you're, you're 
first um, real life adult decision, right? Is what I feel like I'm going through with my daughter right now. But can you talk about how painful it is uh, for kids and how you're solving that pain point for them and, and what the application process was like before you went through this digital transformation and what it's like today? And, and then maybe what you see in the future, how will it get even better? So some of the things that I think are interesting to note that people as students today certainly can't really fathom because they've had the internet you know, <laughs> their whole lives. They, it's hard for them to imagine that. Uh, I know that when I applied to college, even though the Common App was around, you know, I had to fill out by hand or type hmm. uh, individual applications for multiple institutions. And I was typing in the same information over and over and over again. Uh, and then making a mistake and having to erase it and all all that kind of editing that that takes place. Right. Uh, that's the way it was. It was uh, students needing to just completely, you know, repeat what they'd already done and send it send it away to schools um, by mail and not even know whether the school had received the mm-hmm. the application from you. Uh, so that's what it was like. And then the forty years ago, when the Common App uh, originated, it started with fifteen school mm. from across the, the country. And that was the idea. It was like this gave the schools the opportunity to get their names in front of a, a broader group of students, but then it also gave the students the opportunity to fill out one application and be able to send it to more than one institution. Yeah. Uh, and since that time, more schools obviously have have joined the effort. Uh, we had after 25 years of existence, we've probably had gotten up to about 200 institutions. And that's when we went um, online. Hmm. And then since going online, as I mentioned, we have now more than 800 colleges and universities from 49 states and 20, 20 countries. And it's a great opportunity for students to be able to explore the, the great range of opportunities that they can have and, and decide for themselves, you know, what are some of the best fits for them? Because there are such tremendous uh, opportunities for students to pursue higher education Mm -hmm. and being able to come to the Common App, explore them and be able to add them to their list of of interested schools and then be able to submit those applications in a more streamlined fashion really helps reduce some of the the burden on the students. It also helps the fact that their counselors and teachers and advisors can also access the system to provide them with support as well as to submit their own supplementary information for the students. And a great example of how uh, I think the Common App helps reduce more barriers to access is we have a a need-based fee waiver within the Common Application that a student only needs to fill out once um, if they are low income. And that fee waiver will then work for any of the institutions to which they apply. Wow. So again, they just have to do that once. They don't have to do it over and over again for, for a school. Uh, and to give you some sense of scope, uh, last year, that need-based fee waiver saved students more than $65 million in application fees. So our members wow. contributed that much to enabling students who might not otherwise have the opportunity to pursue an education. So, what a great way to connect that mission back to the features, right? So, so often a technology would company would just think of that as a feature and a benefit, but wow, how powerful is that when you surface that data point and can really talk about mission again, right? It really is. It's, it's, it gets very exciting. And every time we're able to uncover something like that, that makes a huge difference for students. It's incredibly 
exciting for us. Neat. Now, I've got to ask the obvious question that pops up. When you say 49 states, it begs the question, I'm sure every listener is thinking is, what's the one state that's not on board? And is there a reason why? Well, David, that is a great question. And it's a question when having worked in admissions, I worked in admissions for over 20 years uh, and recruiting a national student body. There's was typically one state that was always the largest challenge, and that was North Dakota. Huh. Uh, simply because there just aren't as many people okay. <laughs> in North Dakota, we are working on it. So we are we are hoping that we will we will have North Dakota among our membership in in, in the future. But it is it's funny because it is Wonderful. it is uh, something that when I was an admissions professional, North Dakota was often an absent state uh, in the uh, enrolling class. <laughs> I, I, I totally get that more than you probably know because uh, my father was in the military. I grew up all over the world and North Dakota was one of our spots. And I, I did my freshman okay. year of high school in North Dakota. So I, I definitely understand how it can get forgotten sometime. But I, I will say some of the best people in the world. So I uh, would love to see them I, get on board. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, we have not forgotten about North Dakota. <laughs> we probably talk about North Dakota more than they might realize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So the other thing that became apparent as you were talking about the evolution is this isn't just about a technology play, but as so many uh, technology platform businesses struggle with today, you are really building an ecosystem. This is an ecosystem play. And it was interesting to hear the history of, you know, originally started off with 15 colleges and universities. And now as the ecosystem grows, it becomes more powerful and more beneficial and you can do even more. Can you speak to some of the complexities and challenges of being an ecosystem business um, and how you've thought about that and how you've overcome some of those challenges? Well, I would say... It's actually, I see the ecosystem aspect of our business as being our greatest strength mm. uh, because one of the ways that we continually evolve is by listening to the different constituents who are using using the system. So we regularly, when we're doing our UX design, you know, consult with, with applicants. Mm-hmm. We consult with counseling community. We consult with our, our membership. And when you have a really diverse member membership of colleges and universities like we do, you really learn a tremendous amount about how to streamline the process and share best practices with, with those institutions that then help the process for the applicants and can help with the process for the counseling community. So when you get all of those voices together, uh, you really can uh, identify some common themes and, and really address some of the pain points that, mm-hmm that people experience in the process. I love that. Really bringing that humor, human-centered design into the picture of making sure that you're solving real pain points for all of your constituents around the entire ecosystem. And interestingly, how um, solving a pain point for one person oftentimes solves it for another as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so how about the future? Do you see, is there is there something that you see um, coming down in the future in terms of how education is going to change or how you're going to be able to assist with the accessibility that you're really excited about uh, in, in order to really promote this mission? Yes, absolutely. I think higher education is experiencing tremendous change now. Our, our membership is certainly experiencing that change. Just different delivery models of online education and and other methods, different credentials and certificates and degrees Mm -hmm. that our our membership are providing. And I think one of the things that 
people do not always uh, recognize because we spend so much time focused on the uh, sort of competitive college admissions process. We tend to focus on the high school to college market Mm -hmm. that we don't talk about what are really the 85% of undergraduates who do not come directly from high school or don't live on campus who aren't the quote-unquote traditional student. So what we've done, uh, we just launched this year a new transfer application. Okay. When you look at the undergraduate student market, 40% of students are attending community college. Hmm. 80% of those students, when they arrive at community college, indicate that they would like to transfer to a four-year institution. Wow. However, only a, only a third of them do. And only 14% of them actually go on to complete a four-year, a degree in six, within six years. So that's a real opportunity in terms of trying to impact access for students and helping people achieve their goals and their dreams is what role could the Common App play in that? And we've launched our new transfer application to really try to be much more welcoming, um, accessible, uh, and reflective of the, the very diverse experiences that community college transfer students bring, that returning adult learners bring, that veterans and military personnel bring to the the process to help connect them uh, in a much more streamlined way Hmm. to the the 800 members that we have who are eager to enroll those students on their campuses. Hmm. And when you look at that group of students, they tend to be working, they have other, other things going on in their lives, it really is an, an access initiative to try to reduce the barriers uh, for that population. So that's a big part of our future is adapting to the enrollment changes that our members are experiencing and the workforce demands that our country has mm-hmm. to educate more students uh, and to that whole group of students out there who don't have college counselors or don't have that direct path. Right. What role can we play to assist them in the process? What a great example of navigating your product and service within a market as it changes and as it transforms. And one of the secrets that I heard kind of implicitly talked about underneath how you're leading this this navigation of the market is there were a lot of data points that you just pointed out. Um, and, and it brings to mind that you likely have tons of data because you're collecting all of this. And what role has data played in not only how you're navigating your product strategy, but just in how you're approaching digital as a whole? Do, do you find yourself relying on data more and more and starting to adopt some of these um, you know, machine learning techniques and AI and the things that we hear about in the press, but I, I know our listeners would love to hear about kind of real world, world situations and, and what's really happening on the ground with all of this data. Absolutely. We, we rely on data to evolve our product and, and move forward and help, help our members. But I would say, I think some of the, in terms of AI and machine learning, that, that's an area of, of growth for us. So that's something that we are, we are looking into in terms of how we can best leverage that in this process, either supporting students through the process, how we can reimagine the user experience uh, for students using, using our product. But I can give one, you know, one example of using data to develop a product. We have a mobile app that we worked with Three Pillar uh, to help us develop. And that really was based on, we, we kept hearing students wanted to do the application on a mobile app. 
Uh, but when we really dug into the data and the information, we found that students actually, that wasn't their primary goal for what a mobile app might do. Mm. The primary goal for a mobile app was to keep them on track and mm. keep them meeting deadlines and submitting applications appropriately, being able to request recommendations from people and other sort of mobile companion type features to the application itself. Mm -hmm. They still found that the application itself, they they wanted primarily to do, you know, on a desktop or some other other device. Writing your Um, essay or whatever makes more sense at a desk, right? Exactly. So that's, we've used data from a variety of sources to help inform our our direction in in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, it, it's so funny. We we hear this as a common theme. Is absolutely we're using data to inform decisions, but the reality mm-hmm. is that the AI and the machine learning and the deep learning are things that Facebook, Google, and Amazon are using. But really, everybody else is looking at it and saying, "How do I get more mature there?" And that's a direction I have to go. But very little is being done on the ground. Um, very very common in in individuals that I'm talking to. Yeah, it's it's an exciting area of opportunity, but it's also an unknown, uncharted territory. And daunting, right? It feels daunting, and there's so yeah. much just data cleanup to do to get ready for it. So this brings us to a little bit more of the some of the technical things that, that I would love to ask you. You have a very interesting thing that sticks out when you, you look at the overview of how your app is used and the intensity during you know, significant admissions um, points of, of time in the year, right? It's a very seasonal business, I would guess. Um, and one of the interesting things that strikes me in terms of how you do your product management is that in a world where we hear all the time that Amazon is releasing new software into production uh, every single second, um, you actually are still releasing a new version each year uh, for the registration process. Can you talk about how you've decided that's still the right thing for you? And what does it look like under the covers? How do you keep that innovative spirit of responding to change in need in this world where a a new primary version is being released uh, only once a year? Yeah, that's it's a a great question, Uh, and I would say that schedule has been um, basically based on our our college and university member schedules. You know, Mm. they have typically updated their application once a year and want to make changes to it once a year. That said, um, given the changes in higher education, we we also note that uh, there are some institutions that just want to keep an application going year year round and have it have it be the same. So that's an area that we're exploring in terms of what that cycle will be for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way that it, it currently is, we, we have an August 1 launch of the new, the new application season every year. And it is a really interesting phenomenon. Uh, it used to just be an August 1 launch and there was no big fanfare. But now it has become Common Application Day <laughs> on social media and wow. a variety of other channels. And it, it became sort of, it has become this, interesting de facto sort of deadline <laughs> where <laughs> students within within a minute really? of launching and typically you know we might do it earlier than we might say within a minute of us just going live a student will have created their account and it becomes there's a it's a high volume day for us just with students either rolling over their account from a previous year or starting a new one wow so that's been interesting but we invest throughout the year of uh, quite a bit in our infrastructure to ensure our security, the reliability and privacy of, you know, the more than 1 million students who use it. 
we also work to make sure that we're ready for the busiest day day of the year. With mm-hmm. January one is a famous deadline day. Okay, and at eleven fifty nine p.m. on January first, our students never fail us <laughs> to literally be applying at the very last minute. And so we do everything we can to make sure that we are operating just as fast and reliably uh, at 11.59 p.m. Um, as we are on, you know, September 3rd, uh, right. on, you know, for January 1st. So, but it is, it's, it's interesting. You look at, we've looked at data over the years with that. And regardless of anything, students are always applying at literally the last minute. <laughs> well, some things that were changed, right? No matter uh, what age we're in, procrastination, especially amongst youth, I, I, I think is probably in our DNA somehow. <laughs> uh, it is. It's timeless. <laughs> From generation to generation, we pass it on. Uh, so I would imagine then that uh, New Year's Eve becomes an all-hands-on-deck uh, moment for you. Um, so we, we need to bring the champagne to your office this uh, this coming year. Is that how it works? <laughs> we, would, we would welcome that. Uh, that's great. Well, we are we are getting close on time here, so I, I would love to just wrap up with just a couple of questions to finish framing uh, what you guys are doing. I'm curious, as a mission-oriented nonprofit, when you step back, how do you look at the competitive landscape? Are there other companies that are trying to do this on a for-profit basis? Do you have other nonprofits you can com- co- compete with, or do you look at them as partners? How do you think about competition? Yeah, it's certainly uh, there is competition, and it ranges from for-profit uh, organizations that provide application platforms to not-for-profit organizations that provide a, com- a platform that might be used by more than one uh, institution. So there's certainly other online application providers, and we ab- absolutely keep track of the competitive landscape. But where we feel we're different is the unprecedented access to the widest range of colleges and universities with that more than 800 colleges and universities across 49 states and 20 countries. And we, we, we even added 70 new members this year. Wow. Uh, it, it also, we don't think that any other organization matches our, our years of experience or depth of knowledge of the application process itself, mm-hmm. nor the ability to serve the millions of students and the hundreds of thousands of teachers and counselors that we do. Mm-hmm. It really is, I think, the decades of, of history that we have and experience, as well as that just sincere uh, DNA of wanting to reduce barriers in the college admissions process that really drives what we do every single day. Okay, and I've got one final question, which uh, is just bugging me. I'm trying to figure out why wouldn't a student use the Common App? Are there still students out there that are going the old-fashioned route and filling out paper uh, forms, or are they just submitting different applications for each school? Why is that? Why would somebody not choose to use the Common App? Well, they might uh, choose not to use it because the school they're applying to doesn't use the Common App. Okay, <laughs> so that's that's an ob- that's an obvious one. Uh, but we also core to who we are is wanting students to choose the best option for them. Hmm. And if a student uh, decides that they'd rather fill out a a college or university's institutional application because they just prefer that, mm-hmm. that's fine. I, I think we we want students to not feel stressed 
or uh-huh. pressure in this process as much as we can. We are open to whatever they might want to do. <laughs> but it really comes down to a, a matter of just a matter of preference and choice uh-huh. for students. And you, you still and are finding that too, there are some that, that like the paper form. Yeah, I don't know about as many paper forms. Okay. I have not heard too much about paper forms anymore. But I think the other thing that is important to note is that the Common App is actually more than an application mm-hmm. uh, because we we connect applicants to financial aid tools, to mm-hmm. scholarship opportunities, digital portfolios. They can connect with virtual mentors and counselors and have a whole host of resources to help them get through the process. It goes back to the power of that ecosystem and all of the services you're able to, to provide by pulling those together. A powerful exactly. story powerful story of a, a mission-driven organization rooted in values and really uh, thinking differently uh, to transform a, a sector of education that really needs to be transformed and is evolving very rapidly. So congratulations on what you're doing. Jenny, it has been so nice uh, to, to hear the story and to talk to you today. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us uh, during what's undoubtedly a busy time of the year. I know we're just coming off that August 1st and we're looking down the pipe of, of January 1st. So I, I would imagine things are pretty busy. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, David, for the opportunity. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. For anyone listening that has high school students in their lives, uh, we'd encourage you to encourage them to get familiar with the Common App. And on the off chance they're not ready, uh, you can visit the website at commonapp.org. And you can also follow them on Twitter at Common App. Uh, Jenny is on Twitter at, at Jenny Common App if you'd like to follow her as well. Uh, Jenny, once more, thank you so much. And this has been the recent version of the Innovation Engine Podcast. The Innovation Engine Podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and we post extensive show notes for each episode on the Three Pillar website at threepillarglobal.com slash podcast. That's three with the number three. Last but not least, we're always striving to improve here on the Innovation Engine podcast, and we get asked often who listens to it. We can see from our analytics that a pretty healthy number of you do listen, but raw download numbers don't do much to help us learn who out there is listening, what your day-to-day jobs are like, and what kinds of topics or which specific guests you might like to hear from. So if you'd like to help make the innovation engine a little bit better, please take a few short minutes out of your day and shoot me a quick email with some of that information. Will.Sherlin at 3PillarGlobal.com is my email address. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time.